Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to the We Podcast, and I'm your host, Sarah Menares. I believe that we all need a space to speak our authentic truth, as well as a space to hear the truths of real and vulnerable people so that we can better understand that we are not alone. Hearing the experiences of others encourages us to step into the light in our own lives. It is through owning our stories and learning to speak our truth that we are able to grow and rise above the challenges we face and step into the full power of all we were created to be. You will hear many topics discussed in this space with people from all over the world. We hope that you feel welcomed into a community of growth and that this space will invite you to uncover the absolute greatness that is already inside of you. Oh, and don't forget, check out all the We Podcast episodes as well as the We Spot blog over at thewespot.com. Are you ready? Let's dive in. listening to episode number 51, Free to Be. In this episode, I interviewed Jamie Cardin O'Brien. Jamie moved to Colorado from Kansas City in 1999 after receiving her bachelor's degree in psychology from the University of Kansas. She earned a second bachelor's from Colorado State University and then completed her master's in community counseling at the University of Northern Colorado. She has worked in the field since 1995, starting at a crisis counseling center in Lawrence, Kansas. She worked for Crossroads Safe House in Fort Collins and then moved to Larimer Center for Mental Health before beginning in private practice. She just recently began Free to Be, a personal development movement for adolescent girls. She's married and has two daughters who are nine and seven. I've known Jamie for about 14 years, and her love for helping and supporting people is evident in all that she does. I'm so excited about the amazing movement she's creating for adolescent girls. If you have a daughter, or if you have a a young girl in your life, or even a really young girl who will be an adolescent someday, you know how important this is. But the reality is, is we've all been adolescents at some point. (laughs) And if we have been at that developmental stage, we know how important this movement really truly is. It is a difficult time and sets the stage for how we will move forward in adulthood as women. So I can't wait for you to get to know her better and hear more about how we can support our teen girls and really create a new generation and culture of growth and self-care at such a much younger age. What a difference this will make in the world. So before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to the review of the week. And this week, our review comes from Social Girl 772001. And she says, validating and inspiring. Love listening to the stories of so many amazing women. I feel like we live in a society that focuses on the finished shiny project. I love this podcast because while it does get to the shinier side of things, Sarah digs in deep with her guests about all the hard, not-so-shiny moments 
that get them here. It is so inspiring to hear these women's stories and Sarah's and validating to also know we aren't the only ones who have hard stuff in our lives. Love it. Thank you. Thank you, Social Girl 772001. We appreciate you so much and your amazing feedback. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Here we go. Here is my interview with Jamie. Welcome to this episode of the WE Podcast. I'm really excited to chat with my guest today, Jamie Carden O'Brien. And we go quite a ways back. We've known each other for, gosh, I don't want to say how many years because I think that dates us. (laughs) (laughs) A long time. (laughs) Yes. So we went to grad school together and that's how we originally met, which is super cool. And so obviously we're both therapists. Now you went on to go to get your PhD. Is that right? Or have you? I I did. And I ultimately ended and you're going to think I'm crazy. Actually, I went to turn in my proposal for, (laughs) I had defended my proposal and got it signed off to do the research and I decided, nope, not going to do it. So yeah. I understand. (laughs) I don't think you're crazy. (laughs) No, that's yeah. Well, that's awesome, though. I mean, so you went through the program essentially. Yeah, I did everything except the finished. I did everything except the research part of my dissertation. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. So tell everyone what your current credentials are. Yeah. So I have my master's like you in community counseling from University of Northern Colorado. I'm a licensed professional counselor. I've been in the field, geez, talk about dating myself since I was 19. So 24 years. I did a lot of crisis work in the beginning and advocacy work. And then once I did my master's and got licensed. I've been in private practice since 2009. Nice. Same year. Me too. 2009. It's a good year. So before we dive into what you're currently doing now, I'd love to hear just a little bit of a backstory from you and what brought you to be doing what you're doing. Like you're your heart for helping or, I mean, what brought you into helping people at 19 years old? Sure. I actually love this story. So I am from Kansas City. That's where I grew up. And I did my first undergrad at the University of Kansas. I was a freshman and really I hadn't declared a major. I I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was doing my laundry at a place called Suds and Duds, and (laughs) there was a flyer for, it was called Headquarters Counseling Center, and it was needing volunteers. And I just thought it sounded interesting. I, I wanted to do some sort of volunteer work, so I contacted them and went through their training program, which now, having been through everything that I have, I realize what an amazing experience and how lucky I was to have that. 
their training program was six months before you could be on the phones or meet with walk-ins. You know, honestly, Sarah, it reminded me of PRAC, our master's PRAC. I mean, all of those skills, all of the role plays, even then when we were allowed to be on the phones, we had to be with a seasoned volunteer so that they could hear what we were saying to people. So it was, it was an amazing experience. I ended up volunteering there the rest of my time at KU. And then I stayed a year after I graduated, before I moved to Colorado. Even when I moved back to Kansas City, I was still driving to Lawrence once a week to do an overnight shift there. It was it was really great. And then that's what led me to decide that I wanted to do counseling, that I wanted to be a therapist. And that's what brought me out to Colorado to go to grad school. And because I wanted to live here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just recently drove through Kansas City. So yes, yes. Yeah. So Colorado was the place you wanted to be. Yes, for sure. I moved to Fort Collins having never heard of it or, or having been here. I had come out to find a place to live with my dad and my sister. And that was the first time that I was here in Fort Collins, but I knew I wanted to live in Colorado. We would come out skiing all the time. And I remember driving out of the mountains, you know, going back to Kansas and just always thinking to myself, I'm going to live here someday. I just, I love the mountains. Yeah. I love it here. That's awesome. Yeah. Hmm, I love it. Very cool. So you moved out here to go to UNC. Yes. Well, I've got a second bachelor's at CSU um, in human development and family studies because I I then, my degree from KU is in psychology, decided that I wanted to work with kids. So I did the human development degree at CSU and then the master's at UNC. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of school. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I know. Oh, I loved grad school though. I like, I think I could maybe be a professional student. <laughs> right. Yes. That's what I always said that I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Yeah. So back in the day when we met, we were both going there in the counseling program and I think after we graduated, kind of lost track of each other, really. Yeah. Yeah. I know we bonded over a creeper dude at one point. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we did. (laughs) I think that's ultimately what brought us together, actually. (laughs) I, I think that is. I think our mutual friend had let us both know that the same thing was happening and we and but she you know probably because being a counseling student being you know having that confidentiality she never told me your name and I don't think she told you mine but somehow we figured it out Mm -hmm. Um, but that's funny (laughs) (laughs) I know I was thinking about how did we meet exactly and then That was it. (laughs) So after grad school, you went on to work where? 
after grad school, I went to, at the time it was Larimer Center for mental health, um, later became Touchstone and now it's Summit Stone. I get so confused. I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know what it's called anymore. <laughs> yes. So I, yes, I worked at Larimer Center. I was on the adult team in Fort Collins. I think that's where you and I ran into each other again at one of the, because you were with child and family, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was an MST therapist at that time. And so I think that's where we had run into each other again at, at one of the trainings or, or something that Larimer Center was putting on. But mm -hmm. uh, I was there for over four years. I started in the Fort Collins office. I moved to the Workforce Center for a bit and then ended in Loveland. Awesome. Still yeah. with adults in Loveland? Yes, I was with, so the whole time I was at Larimer Center, I was with adults. Okay, cool. And I was trying to remember when I left there because I was, I was always part-time with them, which was really nice because I could get my private practice going. I had the time to do that. And really, you know, I, I think that worked out so great for me because I had something that I could depend on, even though it was just part-time while I was getting the private practice going. And then once it got to the point where I just couldn't, you know, it was, I would have to be at Larimer Center at eight in the morning and then I wasn't getting home until nine o'clock at night. That was when I thought, okay, it's time to, to just do private practice. But I know my second, Riley, was born, so I want to say it was probably 2012 that I left Touchstone at the time and, and just did private practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so fill us in a little bit more about your personal life, like what, what was going on personally during all this time? Yeah, so I am married. And we have two little girls. So Reagan, our first, is nine years old. She's in third grade. And Riley is seven, and she's in second grade. So I got married the first year of the PhD program. I had both the girls during that program, plus was working full-time. Wow really strongly contributed to my decision to to not continue with the research part of it. My husband, at the time that I made that decision, was working for the fire department, plus he owned a welding and fabrication shop in here in Fort Collins and was working seven days a week, very long days. And, you know, me also working full-time and having this huge project in front of me, I just realized if I'm going to get this done, I'm going to have to have a sitter that's with the girls all day Saturday and all day Sunday. And for who knows how many weekends, you know, lots and lots of weekends to mm -hmm. get that done. And three letters after my name just were not worth my girls being with sitters all the time. You know? <laughs> and, you know, and I know people do it and, and all of that. And it's not saying that one way is better than the other, but just it wasn't important to me. And mm -hmm. truly the reason that I went on to get my PhD 
was because I knew I wanted to do private practice. I felt like I wanted more education, more training to be able to confidently be out there on my own. And I 100% got that. I think going through the program, the classes, I did counselor education and supervision. So all the coursework that I did, the practicums especially of being a supervisor to master's counselors in training, I 100% believe that that made me a much better therapist. And so I don't regret it. I am happy that I got what I did out of the experience. I think it's exactly what I wanted and probably what made that decision for me so easy because I didn't want to be a faculty member. You know, having my PhD wasn't going to change my career because I was already in private practice. I was already doing what I wanted to do. The hardest thing was probably talking to Joe, my husband, and you know, like we put all of this time and money into this degree and and me, you know, saying, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. But Joe is amazing in in everything and he supported me 100% and was just then don't do it never made me feel bad or guilty or anything like that so it just it was a really easy decision that's awesome yeah yeah, yeah. i think it's just such a good example too of how so often life just totally goes a different direction than we can anticipate you know yeah. Yes. And and things happen and we have to reprioritize and take a look at what really does matter to me right now and change our direction sometimes, which is great to be able to be flexible for sure. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I know that you now work with kids. I do a lot of referring to you. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime I get questions about, do you know someone who sees kids? I don't really see kids anymore. And I don't think we need to get into why, but I like the parenting piece personally. Mm -hmm. That's the piece that I gravitate towards, but I think that it's awesome the work that you do. And so you do play therapy, right? I do. So I have a playroom. Most of my clients now are teenagers, are adolescents. I still see the younger ones. And I think when I started my private practice, I would say that was more of my focus where I definitely had more under 10. And right now I just really like adolescents. I'm really enjoying working with that population and just helping all of the things, you know, thinking about my experience in middle school and high school. And then, you know, it feels like it's times a million for the kids now. Mm. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really enjoying that work. What do you think makes it times a million now? Like, what do you think makes it harder? I think just, you know, obviously, you know, social media plays a part in that. I think it was hard for me that comparison game, you know, looking at what I thought other people did better than I did or, that person's thinner than I am or prettier or smarter, you know, all of those things 
just with the people that were around me. And so imagining now, you know, this perfect social media highlight reel where we can, you know, everybody knows that everybody puts their best foot forward most of the time. And still it's hard to separate from that, from that or not compare. I think also just this, we're in such an instant gratification time, you know, thinking about everything is, is literally at our fingertips. <laughs> if we want food, we can get it delivered to our house. If we, you know, people who are dating, they can literally get on an app and go meet somebody with, I, I don't know, because wasn't out when I was dating. But from what I hear, you can see who's within a couple miles of you and go meet them at a coffee shop or go meet them at a bar. Like there's we're so used to getting what we want. And so when things don't feel so good or we're not getting what we want, when I'm saying we, the, my clients, these kids I'm working with, it causes so much anxiety or there's this belief that we should be happy all the time or we should be able to find something that makes us happy right now. And they're having such a hard time just, you know, not every day is going to be a good day and that that's okay. There are definitely things that we can do to help take care of ourselves and to, you know, how we manage that emotion. But I think it, it becomes so overwhelming because there is that belief that we all need to be happy and perfect and, and do things just so, and it all needs to happen right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. I think that, you know, just my opinion, I think that's very different than when I was in middle school, high school. And again, going back to like, it's not like middle school and high school was easy. You know, that is a hard time of life or just a confusing. And, you know, I had a happy childhood and, and all of that. So not even saying that I went through any kind of struggle, like what some of my clients do but again, going back to that, just knowing emotionally what that time was like for me and things were pretty good. And so then put on top of that, if they're experiencing any kind of trauma or what I, I was just speaking about of just, it's just different, just feels bigger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. You were just saying something that like, it's a soapbox topic for me <laughs> <laughs> that drives me just well, it really actually saddens me. Like mm -hmm. this movement, it's so hard because on one hand, it's good to be positive and, you know, the whole good vibes only positive all the time. I think that there's a positive element to that. However, it's overused mm -hmm. and used in a way where exactly as you were saying, it makes people think, well, what's wrong with me that I'm not happy all the time or that things aren't positive all the time? Right. Yes. Yes. It sets that expectation, which is completely unrealistic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 We need a happy balance yes. in that area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like some days are just going to suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think that teenagers do have it so much harder. I think social media adds this element of the comparison, the constant. What is it? Somebody said that like we are the most connected 
that we've ever been because of social media, but also the most actually isolated mm-hmm. from each other. Yeah, yes. And there was a big study, and I can't remember who put that out, but loneliness is getting to an epidemic level in the United States. And the population that most reports being lonely are adolescent to early 20s. And thinking about, right, like everything's on the phone or just all of these online connections and how much we get from being in person with somebody, how much we get from being able to look somebody in the eye and have them look at us and be engaged in a conversation that I don't knock online relationships. I I think that it can be a great source of support for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is a way to stay connected. You know, I think my parents live in North Carolina. My brother's in New York City. I have a sister in Chicago. You know, we are more in touch with each other's lives because of technology and and social media and all of that. So, you know, I'm a fan for sure. Mm -hmm. I just don't believe that it can 100% replace what in-person connection does. It's, It's so important. And I think that's what really helps fill us or helps us feel connected because if we're just scrolling and and looking at what everybody else is doing or even just messages back and forth you know i i guess for me i would speak person you know my personal feeling is that i would feel really lonely i would i would miss that in person connection mhm yeah yeah for sure Yeah. I love social media for a lot of different reasons. And I agree, like it's not enough. People are using it as the end all be all and can't be, which I think we have very similar hearts in this area because I created the We Are Women Rising meetup for this reason. And and you are creating something pretty awesome that I'm excited for the listeners to hear about. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the free to be movement? Yeah, so the free to be movement, I just started. The idea was born this past summer and truly from my own personal development experience, I uh, <laughs> it's probably bad to say as a therapist because what are we doing? with encouraging people to do personal development and all of that. And in complete honesty, I really didn't start that hard work on myself until maybe four years ago. And I think, you know, getting wrapped up in having kids and, you know, I I can say all the excuses, but now being at the point that I am, this is something that I needed to do way before, way longer, as far as really focusing on myself and who I am, what's important to me, being able to let go of other people's opinions, those kinds of things. So the past four years, I've really, really focused on doing that and had this aha moment of feeling really good or or being in a place of 
truly knowing that I am okay and the choices that I make, I make those because I feel like they're best for me or I make those because they're best for my family, recognizing that other people do it differently and that's okay. It doesn't mean that what I'm doing is, is wrong. And I came home from an event, uh, it was a women's hike, and I was talking to Joe and just said, this would have been so great. I, I just feel like I'm in such a great place right now. You know, why didn't I start this way before? Why didn't, you know, what, what, that, what that would have been like for me if I could have had these realizations or felt this way even about myself back when I was younger. And Joe said, then do it. <laughs> so, so that's where Free to Be came from. It's for adolescent girls. I'm starting with high school age, but actually just in the, since my last event, I did have somebody who had signed up who was in middle school and they came and I knew I eventually wanted to do it with middle school also, but just thought, start with this one age group. But this young woman came and I think had a really positive reaction. I uh, ended up getting a message from her after the event about you know, how much she enjoyed it. And so then I thought like, why not just, just do it for middle school and high school, just start off with both. So it's aimed at personal development for adolescent girls. I'm, I'm trying to keep it separate that I'm a, a therapist because it's not therapy. It's mm -hmm. not therapy. It's not a replacement for therapy. It truly is about connecting, about building community. We do in-person events so that girls can meet other girls in the community with like-minded goals, um, ideas, or even if they're different, where that's okay and that's accepted. So really just trying to build community for the young women where they can learn some of these things, learn about themselves and get to a place of just self-acceptance. Hmm. So that's, yeah, yeah. I'm really excited for it. Yeah. It's so huge. So needed for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I had ladies at the, at We Are Women Rising. It's obviously adults only, but like begging to bring their teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> like just hang on Jamie's doing that uh <laughs> yeah yeah it's it is it's and it's great again going back to that just comparison or feeling like I did some focus groups before doing my first event and I was so impressed with the girls that I talked to and their honesty and vulnerability and being able to say that looking at somebody else and feeling like this girl is, I believe that this girl is better than me in, in whatever way. And automatically then feeling like I don't like her, mm -hmm. you know, and this could be the, the sweetest, nicest person, but because you know, something that they're good at triggers a insecurity in, in other people and other girls, they're not liked and how that needs to, to change. And I think, and I'm not sure, you know, you're a working mom and, and all of that, but that's the example I give for me personally, a lot of, you know, even the work that I was able to do as a working mom 
I would get really defensive if I saw on on social media or somebody was saying, well, I, uh, I don't want somebody else raising my kids. Or, you know, I, or in some way, what, how I was taking that was that they were saying that I was a bad mom and really being able to do the work that I've done then and really keeping the focus on myself and the choices that I make to now being at a point of knowing like I'm a really good mom, mm-hmm. <laughs> not perfect, none of us are. But I'm a really good mom and I am choosing to work because I want to, mm-hmm. and to where then it doesn't have to be us versus them, you know, and they are making the choice that they feel like they need to for their family and what fits for them. And awesome. Like that's great for them. Whereas before I would get really defensive and, you know, well, I want my girls to see that their mom, you know, works and blah, 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 all of this stuff that was so, it was more because I was feeling insecure. Then I started to feel guilty. Like, should I not be working? Should I, you know, am I ruining them in some way or, or all of those things and really being able to rope that in, look at me and why I'm making this decision, you know, who my girls are, how our family runs and like, no, this works 100% for us. And I am good and confident in that. So now when I hear somebody make that kind of comment or, you know, talking about their reasons for staying home, like, I don't get that. Is that making sense? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because they're doing something different and they feel so strongly about what they're doing. That must mean that they think what I'm doing is wrong or, you know, or then it causes me to doubt myself and maybe they do think that I'm doing something wrong but it doesn't it doesn't matter to me anymore Mm -hmm. It it doesn't push my buttons like it did before and I can be truly like happy or you know that's great for you that you're doing that for yourself and so I think being able to teach those kinds of things or encourage those kinds of things give young women opportunities to be in those those kinds of communities if that makes sense of just really it's okay to be different Mm -hmm. um every you know I always say as long as you're not being a jerk (laughs) and hurting people you know truly it's okay to do your own thing if that's different than what other people are doing it's okay it, you know, and it's okay if people don't like you. Mm-hmm. I think as girls and women, we there's more awareness around it, but you think about how long these gender roles, stereotypes have been in place. I mean, this is a lot of unlearning that we're having to do. So it's not mm-hmm. just that, oh, we're aware that this is going on. This is we just make decisions based on these things, not even really realizing that that's where it's coming from. And this idea that girls we have to be nice to everybody and everybody has to like us and don't disrupt anything or don't make any waves. And it's no, it's okay. It's okay if somebody doesn't like you. You don't have to be nasty with each other and whatever. It's more of just mm-hmm. you're not somebody that I would choose to hang out with, and and that's okay. And just leave it at that. Yeah, totally. It's so good. I have so much to say. (laughs) 
like, amen, sister. <laughs> so, so many questions to ask. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that it happens with teenagers. I think it happens with adults. I think it happens mm-hmm. with little girls also mm-hmm. Yeah, I, in, in every age and stage. And it's definitely something that needs to change. And that piece changing is going to make such a huge impact on the entire world. Because if we can learn to accept each other in mm-hmm. spite of our differences, holy moly. Yeah. Yeah. Big, huge changes there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's where the focus on self comes in and just that personal development piece, because I think it's so much easier when we are good with where we are. And that's not saying, you know, Sarah, and, and you well know, this isn't, this isn't a destination. This is a constant lifelong process of just always being self-aware and really looking at where am I at and what am I doing that's working for me and helping me feel good about the direction I'm headed, what's not helping. Mm-hmm. So this, is a, this is a constant work in progress, but being able to get to a place of where you know you're doing that. Yeah. I'm good with where I am. I know what my opportunities are and I'm doing what I need to do to work on those. Mm-hmm. Truly then I believe, or I guess my own personal experience and what I discovered was that it was so much easier for me to then be accepting of other people and what they were doing and choices that they were making because it didn't feel like a competition anymore. Yeah. It wasn't a direct reflection of you, their behavior and what they believed or what they were doing was no longer a reflection of you. I think that's huge. Yeah. 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 I love that. So here's something uh, I'll ask you, you know, you said something a second ago that made me think about this. Uh, There's an article going around for a while about Maybe I shouldn't quote it because I probably didn't read it that well. (laughs) But this whole like premise or idea that if women stay home and desire to stay home, then that's feminine. But if they don't, then it's not feminine, which that really rubbed me the wrong way, obviously. And, but you said something, you said, you know, we need to be sweet and nice. And I think that in a lot of ways that's seen as being feminine right? in our society. Right. Yeah, no. And I, it's not, (laughs) and I guess I'm not really understanding what that article meant. Like if you don't stay home, then you're masculine? I guess I don't understand. Yeah, it's really, well, I think there's this argument, like not a, aside from the article, even like this argument where people are on two sides of the fence. And believe me, I was not created to be a stay at home mom. I am not patient enough. (laughs) (laughs) I know the things about myself. Yes. Yes. I would go probably crazy if I didn't work. And I admire the women who can stay home. 100%. 100%. 
homeschool and all of those things. I know they have a completely different set of gifts than, than I do. And that's Mm -hmm. great. It's wonderful. Yeah. But this idea that in order to be feminine, we have to be the stay at home mom Mm -hmm. who that's the, that's the only desire. Right. Right. Which I mean, I, I don't agree with that. I think you could probably guess that. I, you know, and I guess that would get into a whole other conversation of what it means to be feminine or, or masculine and being nice. And, you know, which I, I think that that's not good for males either. So is that saying, you know, that men, that men aren't nice or they can't be sweet or, or have those characteristics, or if they are, then is that a bad thing because they're too feminine? Mm-hmm. You know, it definitely, the, the stereotypes and the, the gender roles, definitely it hurts both. I believe consider myself a pretty feminine, whatever that means. I don't know. I mean, I'm a woman, So doesn't that mean that I am feminine? I am a nice person. It's more of making sure that I am not allowing myself to be taken advantage of or manipulated in any way because I'm nice, if that makes sense. Totally. I know that if I recognize something like that is going on, I'm going to say something. And then if that means that people will say that I'm the B word, I don't know if you can, (laughs) um, you can say it. It's cool. (laughs) You know, if that means that I'm a bitch or whatever, and again, getting to the, I don't, then fine. Then think that about me, but I'm not going to let you, you know, the whole, we teach people how to treat us. Mm -hmm. And so where I, for sure in my life, you know, I definitely had that experience of just wanting to make sure that I, everybody was happy or I had, I needed everybody to like me, you know, and that's just really changed into it's okay if you don't. And I've got great friends. I've got an amazing husband and little girls. Like I'm, I'm good. So if this person over here thinks that I'm not feminine or that I'm a bitch or or whatever it is because I stuck up for myself or called them on what I saw that they were doing, mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question. Oh yeah, no, I yes, I no, I I I, I love it. I think that's great because so often, and I'm this, I was the same. Still, I mean. Like you said, it's a constant process, right? In people pleasing, not standing up for myself. I mean, being sweet was always valued and being what was considered hard or cold, which is standing up for yourself is not valued. Right. Right. I just love that you're changing this perspective in so many young girls' lives. I think it's huge, huge, huge. And I mean, imagine how different things would really be. And I know you do because you're doing the work (laughs) this way. If both perspectives, there wasn't anything wrong with either one and we can come together and love on each other, no matter what choice, if we choose to work or if we choose to stay home. Right. 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 Whatever thing, whatever it is. Right. And 
in looking at what young girls are playing sports or who gets better grades or who's a cheerleader and who's not, you know, the, just all of the, the different categories that young women get put into and what's better than the other. And it's just like, it's, you know, people are choosing to be who, who they are. And especially during that time of life, they're figuring out who they are. They don't need everybody else's opinions as they're trying to do it because it's, it's hard enough as it is and just let them be. <laughs> yes. Which is all about your name. Free to be. Yes, yeah. I love it. It's awesome. Oh, so good. <laughs> well, I always say you can pay me enough money to make me go back to middle school. Right. <laughs> I, I really think that was like the hardest time in my entire life. Yeah. I, it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, to have that support, I think is huge, but I'd love to know your thoughts on this. As a therapist, I felt like part of the reason I wanted to develop a, a meetup or a, a group like this that was not therapy. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I know we got to be <laughs> super clear on that was because though I was seeing all of these women in therapy who I could see, you know, eight people in one day, eight women, and seven of them were dealing with the exact same things. Mm-hmm. And all of them felt like there's something wrong with me. I'm all alone. I'm the only one who feels this way. And I'm like, no, but I promise, like, if you could just meet the other ladies mm-hmm. <laughs> that I've seen today, yeah. You, yeah. Would, you would understand you're really, there's nothing wrong with you. This is so normal. Yeah. And I think normalizing is powerful. And it's something we can't really do in therapy. We can do it between us and the client, Mm -hmm. but I think there's more power even in a group of people saying, I feel that too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with young women, and so what you're talking about, what you were seeing with your clients and and you developing what you did, you know, which I, I think is so amazing because it does just that but being able to like, let's get them at a younger age and start that work. Mm-hmm. And they can kind of evolve into the, the women's personal development because again, there's not an endpoint. Because yes, my teenage clients, same thing, hearing the same struggles or, you know, where adults, I think with good intention, but telling them, oh, it's girl drama don't, you know, don't worry about that, or it'll all blow over and it'll be done tomorrow. Or, you know, one of my favorites is where they're being told, oh, once you get out of high school, this won't matter. Or in some way that it's going to be different. And Mm. just like you and I have been talking about today, like, no, it, it doesn't end that the judgment or the my way is better or the constant comparison that that women still do it it doesn't end after high school it continues unless you make that conscious effort to change it mm-hmm. to be different to feel different and so that's what we're doing we're trying mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah for sure i think there's more of a community of people after high school that are probably more open about being growth focused mhm I think to find that in high school and middle school, 
is unheard of. Yeah. And, and maybe I'm wrong. And I definitely do think it still exists for sure. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I don't know. I guess I, you, I, I told my, my daughter that it was different. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm thinking about this, like, uh, what did I say? No, <laughs> but I think part of that was because she was very mature. Mm-hmm. Um, and having a therapist as a mom, I think you kind of become growth focused at a young age, right? But in middle school and high school. I mean, really, that li- literally did not exist. Yeah. Uh, now that she's in college, there's more type of groups and stuff like that. But right. I, I definitely don't think that the comparison, none of that, that never, mm-hmm. ever ends, even when you're, who knows, 90, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but having said that, I think it's so amazing that you are adding that culture mm-hmm. to the middle school and high school ages because it's so needed. Thank you. Yeah. So before we end, I want to ask you, so I'm sure that a a lot of my listeners are adult women and hopefully, well, probably a lot of them have maybe teenage daughters. So is there anything you would say to them, help to encourage these moms who are raising a teenager, which we know is hard. Mm -hmm. I've been there. <laughs> but we know it, yes. Yeah, but to help support their teenage daughters through this time, obviously get them connected with you if they're local and get involved with the free to be movement. But what can they be doing in their homes? Yeah, I think it's really important to listen. As you know, as a as a therapist, it's so important that we feel like we're being listened to and that our feelings are validated. You know, that a lot of things that younger people struggle with, they they may seem insignificant or silly to adults because those things don't matter to in in their adult world, but just really recognizing that the things that they're going through that they say that they're struggling with are very real for them. And so being able to really listen and validate, you know, I hear a lot from parents, um, you know, well, my my daughter, my son, they don't talk to me. They go up in their room and, you know, door shut and really Mm -hmm. isolated. And I think it's important to set some boundaries around that, that absolutely developmentally, I mean, teenagers, that's where, that's the time that they're in and they do need their space. And at the same time, when it becomes something where they're not engaged in the family at all, that's a problem. And so if it's, you know, you need to be down with us to eat dinner, or we're all going to watch a movie together, but, you know, keeping them engaged because as much as they might resist that, I think it does send that message of how much they're cared about and, you know, how much we want them to be a part of the family. And then, yeah, I think just loving them. <laughs> we, we all do the best that we can and, and they can be very frustrating at times, absolutely all ages of mm-hmm. kids, but we just, we, we love them, get them in, you know, if it is something more serious, obviously getting them some outside help, but really just always being there for them. No. 
Mm-hmm. If that's anything super profound. <laughs> right? oh, I think that's great because it it can be easy to kind of want to allow them to separate, especially if they're in a challenging phase. Yeah. And so to fight for that relationship, I think is huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So every episode I ask my people two questions. So if I could hop into those questions with you. Sure. The first one is, is what do you feel has been the most vital to your growth? Uh, I think just like what I was talking about doing my own personal development, which for me, that was reading all kinds of books And also I seek out and go to like what you are doing, Sarah. And one of these times I will me, I swear every first Friday I have like, it's my anniversary. It's a dance. (laughs) But I'm so looking forward to making it to one of your women rising meetups because that's what did it. It was going to things like that. I still, I still do. I'm going on a women's hike on Saturday I do women's events all the time and I go by myself and I make myself do that so that I'm forced to meet new people and connect with new people, prove to myself that I can make new friends. So that I would say that the personal development work that I've been able to do over the past four years is just, it's been life-changing, which Mm. is the point, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's awesome. And seeking that out, I think. So yeah. Yeah. All right. What do you want to make sure that people know about me or, uh, no, just in general, like if they were walking away from this podcast and there's only one thing, what, what would that thing be that you want to make sure that they know? They matter and they deserve to take care of themselves. They deserve to be happy, have a voice, do what they want to do. Yeah. Mm, Love it. Last thing, how can people find you? Yeah, so social media on Instagram, it's free to be movement. And there are periods between each word. That's where I do most of my announcements and things like that. I am on Facebook as well. I don't do a whole lot with the Facebook just because younger kids (laughs) tend to be more on Instagram. Mm -hmm freetobemovement.org is how people can sign up for events. There are events every month. The next one that we have is May 11th and it is a mother-daughter event. So moms with their daughters. Yes. And it's at the Impact Chiropractic Building in Fort Collins, which is just beautiful. So I'm super excited for that one. And our website is in the works. It is a big old monster that I'm working on. So that is not up yet, but when it does become live, it's free to be movement.com. Awesome. All right. Great. Yes. I think uh, everyone should connect with you and get their teenage girls involved in this movement and gosh, what an impact this is going to make and is making. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. All right, my friends, what an awesome interview. We absolutely believe in the power of our stories, and we are so very grateful to our guests who have the courage to speak their truth and share their heart, experiences, and light with all of us. 
If you want more of the Wee Podcast, make sure you head over to theweespot.com where you can find all of our episodes as well as the Wee Spot blog. The Wee Spot is your go-to spot for growth, connection, authenticity, and encouragement. You can also find us on social media. Head over to the We Spot Facebook and Instagram pages and get plugged in. You can also find me, Sarah Moneras, on my personal Facebook and Instagram pages as well. If you love the We Podcast, we would be thrilled for you to rate the podcast and write us a review. We want as many people as possible to be lifted up in growth and get connected with our community. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes dropping every single week. We can't wait to see you over on social media. Thank you for being here today. It means a lot to us. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, grow constantly, rise above, and always know you are not on this journey alone. See you next time.